0: Welcome to Learning with Lisa, Student Success Beyond Expectations podcast with Lisa Navarra, award-winning educator, consultant, behavior specialist, author, and parent. This podcast provides support for school leaders, educators, and parents. We share and discuss evidence-based resources that are embedded in social and emotional learning to meet the needs of students who struggle focusing and learning. Teachers and parents find information and strategies to improve students' academic, behavioral, and social emotional performance. It's time to turn kids from I can't into I can.
1: Welcome. In today's episode, we will be learning from and talking with Anthony. Anthony considered himself as a young student and a lifelong learner now as a twice exceptional student. Anthony is going to help us to understand your child or your students who you know are struggling but they need help but they can't get those precious services through the schools because their grades are just too high. Anthony has come such a long way. He's embraced being twice exceptional. You're going to love the way that he is going to reach your hearts as well as your students. Anthony has become a science teacher who then developed into an assistant principal and is currently the director of admissions at a very special private school here on Long Island. So welcome Anthony. Thanks for having me. I was so thrilled to just have a conversation with you before deciding even, is this a good fit for our listeners? And it was blown off the charts. Absolutely. So when we say twice exceptional, Anthony, can you just run with it? You know, tell us your story. Tell us what that means.
2: Sure. Sure. Absolutely. All right. So uh, twice exceptional or two E as it's called in the business is, is a relatively new term. Um, and it really refers to a student with really high IQ, essentially, and, uh, um, and it's usually coupled with another thing like ADHD or anxiety, or, um, you know, it could be just sort of um, depression, school avoidance, things that the, the student itself has the most potential, but then there's some sort of learning obstacle. And that's kind of the thing is, is that um, with two E kids, it's really a very fine balance between really finding their full potential And helping them manage their their ADHD or their learning disability so that's kind of like the one thing about the journey of 2E Um, now that I get to work with them it's just such a great great experience and you know a little bit of my background so as a student I was you know I went to Catholic schools I grew up in in the 70s and 80s this is before special ed Um, the kind of special ed didn't really take place until 1975 ish roughly so I'm in you know already in school. And one of the things back then was um, Iowa tests, an IQ test. It was a really, really big thing. And you know, and we you know, having worked with parents and students, one of the things that you realize is that a lot of how a student is prepared for school is really about the parenting. We go down a lot of rabbit holes about parenting, about being too you know helicopter parent or really super permissive. I was born 1967 to a bunch of hippies. They had no idea. They were 18 years old. They were like, we got a kid. This is really cool and funny and groovy and had no idea what, what they had, they had their hands full. And um, I remember they, 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 you know, they did their best. They sent me off to Catholic school and one of the tests determined that I had a really high IQ and I'll never forget the day that they literally pulled me into a room and told me about the score. And they were like, You have so much potential. And we're immediately now moving you into honors level courses. I will tell you, it was probably the worst day of my school. Like it was literally the thing that I regretted the most. Like it was kind of like you made, you turned my world upside down. You're putting with people I don't want to be with. You're making me do work I am not interested in. And it was all because I performed really well on a test and I had potential. And so that's kind of like those, one of those things where all right, everybody's got eyes on you. You have a tremendous amount of potential. They see me as, okay, they can handle it academically, but they had no idea my ADHD was out of control. They had no idea that it was manifesting in different ways and making me you know, react in certain ways. And so that was kind of the really, really messy way I was introduced to school. And it was almost kind of like this balance of like, I, you know, school for me, learning became super, super easy. I had a photographic memory. I could look at a book, look at it for a few minutes, close the book, memorize it. I could sit in a lecture, hear what they say and totally remember what they said. Watch it on video, totally get it. Ask me to write a note, ask me to copy it down. I had zero interest. And and so it became like this this exercise in futility of like, how much can I give to get just enough grades? So they back off of me, but I didn't want to really give the whole thing. And so that was really kind of the intro to, to school for me, it was just one of this, like these things, you know, and especially even now, like back in the day when I was in high school in the eighties, college wasn't such a, a, a thing as much as you need to go out and get a job. You need to go get Ben, you know, get a job with benefits. my dad, union worker for 48 years. Like, like it was all about finding a job. And so that mindset of like, Ah, you're not really. You don't really need college. You just need to go to work. That was the one piece of that they didn't understand, and then the other piece of like they just had no idea how I related to learning and and what was really good for me. And it was a lot of pressure to do what others thought I had the potential to do. And I think that is a common theme that really kind of when I got into education, that was the first thing that I recognized. I'm like, listen, everybody's built differently. I realized that the 30, 40, 120 kids I see in a day all of them have total different journeys. And yeah, most of them are on the right journey and kind of got, But there's so many that are falling to the wayside. And so that's kind of how I like was drawn to teaching. So I'm like, oh, this is where I can kind of share my journey, my impact and help those kind of manage that situation. And that's kind of really, you know, when I left the classroom, one of the things I always worried about, like, oh, I'm not going to be able to have impact the kids in front of me. And then, and then once I became an administrator, I realized how much more of an impact I have, not just on the kids, but on their families. Because, in, you know, we go a lot, of talk about, you know, especially like social emotional learning. Most of the, I'm saying most, a lot of what we see from kids experiencing social emotionally are coming from their parents. And that's no fault of the parents. We're all trying to figure it out. I'm a parent myself. We're all trying to kind of figure it out when it's messy and murky. But the people, I think parents don't really recognize sometimes that how they parent also provides an obstacle to their own child's learning. And that's kind of where I always wanna pull back the curtain and be like, no, 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 mom, mom, it's okay. It's okay, they can't do a it quadratic. It's fine, I don't have to do the quadratic. You know? <laughs> I learned it for a moment and I forgot it. It's okay, I IT teach science. It's okay you don't know the steps of mitosis. It's fine, Google it. So that's kind of like where I wanna just kind of like turn that, that mirror around and be like, no, no, really what's super, super important here? And obviously now here we are coming at the, towards the end of a pandemic, looking at how many schools are dumping money into social emotional buying getting school psychologists hiring the personnel to do what's really really matters because there was, you know, a lot of you know and you know if you're as a special ed teacher you know like the four, past 40 years we've really given all of our all towards special ed. And if you look at like you know now my background is in education administration so I'm looking at it like that macro view, like has it worked. Has all that attention towards special ed work, has it made the United States more educated?
1: And I'm going to say it hasn't worked the way it could work today. Right. And I, I said, think right, so we're so totally falling short. We haven't applied yet. Right. Yep. And I want to take you back into the classroom for those teachers and those parents who are saying, well, he can do this, but he can't do that. Or the frustrated teacher says, oh, uh, you know, Johnny's desk is an absolute mess. Or, you know, he can't write, but he could tell me in such detail what I've taught beyond anybody else's base of knowledge. You know, can you bring us into some of those signs that um, we might be dealing with a child who is quite exceptional? What does that look like? And then, Anthony, I want to move into what can we do in the classroom and at home for that child?
2: So the twice exceptional, first sign of a, a true and tried and true twice exceptional kid is they're bored. They feel like they're not learning. They feel like, why am I doing this? And and one of the things that um, any student I think is really it's really important, but especially the two week kid, they have to know the why. I know you know teachers are like, oh, you're it because I told you to do it, or this is for your own good. But why? Why is it for my own? And, and that's where I think the teachers don't necessarily take the time to really explain to the students why we're doing this, why it's important, how, what is the outcome for here, where we're going, what is the journey? Because the thing is, is a two-week kid, especially who a, a kid who's really kind of on the ball and picking up on the context of a conversation, they're usually, especially if they're ADHD, they're a couple steps ahead or they're a couple steps behind. So they're usually not on the same- Right, way. right, good point. But the thing is, is realizing that, okay, we a me Johnny doesn't get the point. Let's back up. Let's go back into this and kind of bring it back to this. Or Johnny's way, way ahead of me. Hey, Johnny, no, no, come back here. I want to show you something else. So just being aware that the two-week kid is going to be really, really bored at times. And then you will also notice that the two-week kid will get super engaged on a single thing. So they might be really focused on like you know, even in history, oh, I have one kid, communist manifesto, wants to write one. You go on and on and on. Has zero, like, you know, doesn't want to, like, learn about the implications of that, but wants to write a manifesto. Okay, go for it. Just write. Just go. And so it's that idea of, you know, understanding that your two-week kid is really kind of exploring all avenues and they just want almost somebody to kind of keep them in bounds. Like, no, 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 you are going too far. Or And, and that's kind of where... The, the two-week kid really needs the big support.
1: And explaining, listen, we need to pay attention to these details. I love your passion and your interest and in that specific you know, substance of what we're learning about. Well, we need to be a little bit more re- well-rounded when writing about it because. Yep, absolutely. Okay, so it's so a because. And now let's talk about the side where, you know, maybe they they struggle with the attention part but maybe they can overcompensate it because they are, they have that IQ. And, and you know, what What are the signs there in their learning style?
2: So interesting, like, so, you know, I do a, sometimes I talk to parents about video games and, and kids using video games. And you know, obviously Fortnite's one of these big games. And I have had parents come, oh my kid, you can't get, you know, they can't concentrate, they can't do any work. But I'm like, yeah, but they're able to play Fortnite for 12 hours at a clip. So it's not like they don't have the ability to concentrate on a task. And the thing is, is even something like a game like Fortnite is teaching a tremendous amount of skill sets. They're learning to barter, they're learning to negotiate. There's certain things that they have to do. So there's context of like, that there are things that they're drawn to that they're going to learn naturally. So that's kind of the thing is tapping into that. So if you know your child, you know, listen, our kids have grown up able to swipe. They've watched us swiping on a phone. Like it's funny. You watch a three-year-old, they know how to move on. a. It's, it's insane. And the thing is, is we live in a world now where, books are kind of obsolete. Encyclopedias don't really matter anymore. I can Google that information. So what I want you to do is I want you to be able to know how to access information, know how to know which information is correct, which, you know, which information you're able to cite, which, which information you're able to contribute to. So that's kind of like the shift of where I think even us as, you know, as learners back in our school, it's completely 100% different now. The the students are hardwired. They are more likely to have friends that they have to take a plane to see than if they have one down the block. And the difference of like their worlds are really, really huge. They understand a lot of things that, you know, the the people like, you know, younger generations just really took a long time to, to get. So just realize that you know, as much as you think you're, you know, especially now, oh, my kids, they are, trust me, they are very tuned in and they might be more tuned in than you. And that's the other thing is that they might know stuff and being able to access information that you don't realize that they're able to access. And that's the other thing is knowing what they know and really kind of Um, having those conversations so that you're able if they know if you know that the thinking's there if the the values aren't there you're able as a parent to kind of shift that because that's kind of the playing field is you're you as a parent got to recognize that once your 10 12 13 year old gets a phone it's game off forget it you have very limited saying it's happening
1: and you know what might be helpful too is if you have that child or that student who you know Their world is the video game, get me out of school so I can go back home and play more. Having them understand, especially that twice exceptional student, but also it does apply to many other children also, having them understand that that video game is so engaging to them because the rewards and consequences are immediate. And so that's what really engages them in that. Having them understand that now, we're asking you to sit down. We're asking you to do some work you may or may not be interested in. And now your brain is working in a whole different way than it would be given a computer or a device in front of you with this game that is designed to keep you moving and get that emotional rise and then draw back an emotional rise. So with that, knowing that we are going to experience different feelings of learning, that's okay taking a deep breath, but also like what you're saying, get to know what the kids know. So if some of these games have some of these skills in there, teaching that child, that's a skill that you can actually use in real life. And that can be helpful. Now let's try and apply it. Let's try and talk about it. Like trying to grab them out of that, I've got to get back so I can start playing again. So is that kind of what you mean? Trying to make it a little relative to the here and the now?
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I think I think too, obviously, as a parent, you need to make sure you're setting boundaries. If your child, you know, listen, I get it. My, I have a 10 and a 12 year old. My son loves Fortnite. And there are times I fall asleep. I wind up waking up. And I'm like, what are you still on the game for? Get it. Totally 100% get it. But you definitely need to have boundaries. And, the, and the, your child needs to understand those boundaries. The thing is, is it the earlier, better. Um, it's very hard to go and start setting boundaries on a 17 year old that you've never set boundaries on when they were nine or 10. So that's kind of the other piece of is always start young, start early, always preach that as much as possible. But the other thing is, is even in the context of games, there are things that you can use those, those almost like I, for, for me, I'll be a perfect example. Like, um, my son started playing MLB the show. Which is a lot about baseball, and what's really super super cool is it has fostered his interest in baseball to play it. Now he wants to have catch, so now we're having catches, and then as we're having a catch, now he's referring to stats that he's reading on the games, and now we're talking about like history. He's like, "Where's the best game?" So now he's asking me my personal story about baseball, and like I'm thinking, "Wow, I don't even remember ever having a catch with my dad. Like I don't even know if my dad could throw a ball." So (laughs) that you know, so then that becomes like that's the moment right like it's not so much that i can break his chops up playing mlb the show no i use it as an opportunity to kind of bond with him at a level and that's where i think the the parenting now he doesn't want to play mlb the show he wants to play baseball so that's kind of the other piece of it so you 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 can kind of lean into it and make it so that Hey, I kind of like, or play Fortnite. I don't know how many times I've gone on the game, watched my son just obliterate me in Fortnite. It's fine. <laughs> and then to the day, one day I beat him. He's like, he didn't want to play anymore, which is fine. Oh, <laughs> right. So, but I think those are the opportunities to really get to know your kids. You know, and and, and this is the one thing I see with the with kids, especially because I'm dealing with teenagers, is when they start losing that connection with their parents and they're kind of using their, 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 their peers as their moral compass. We know this, that you're influenced by the most the five people you're around the most. And if the five people you're around the most are really not a good situation, that's what's gonna happen. And that's why you wanna be a really super active and you can share in that. So that's why I always say like video games, get it boundaries early, sharing that experience and provide alternatives. Like, hey, we're gonna go ride on bikes, we're going to the beach, we're gonna do these other activities. The other piece is is really, you know, always checking in with the academics, understand that my daughter, you know, she's going to be an honor student on the honors hall. My son, ADHD, get it. He's going to be a nightmare, but that's okay too. I, I love them both. I will handle them both differently. But the thing is, is understanding that they're going to both be on their different journeys. I am not looking for my son to go off and become a doctor or become a teacher. He does what he wants to do. And I think that's kind of where I tell parents, don't let your own aspirations influence how you wanna raise your kid because they're their own aspirations.
1: Right, and dealing with and, and really teaching toward who they are in and out of the classroom is is so helpful for them to really even understand what their, con- their self concept is and who they are. Correct. If there was any kind of services that could help balance the learning disability portion of that e either struggles and obstacles within schools, Anthony, what, what, in
2: other words, what can schools do to help? So I I would, oh, it's a great question. I would love, and this is where I think most kids that need that help, they need some sort of space for, I'm a big proponent of coaching, like executive functioning coaching that I was, I spent thousands of dollars on life skills coaching for my own self. So I'm a really big believer in coaching. And the thing about coaching is it's very goal oriented, goal oriented. You're setting your own goals. You're working, making commitments towards those goals. You're working towards those goals. And I think that that's, there's not enough space in the school day for that for younger students. Like there should literally be almost like a 15 minutes where kids are like, okay, we got our homework. We got everything together. Is our book bags packed? What are we doing tomorrow? What's the plan for today? We have, So just kind of building in those habits um would be such so so great like it would just be one of those things that especially for the ADHD kid if there was somebody checking in on them obviously you know some teachers some schools do it so well they do it with planners and they're really teachers are so great about incorporating that stuff and having agendas but the, the recognizing the kids that are struggling with them and then kind of using us that space to work with them on the side to kind of say hey Johnny, I see where you're, do you know where your homework is? You know what book you're even reading? Like that, that kind of stuff is super important. And it also shows that the other thing is, is one of the, 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 the early on, right. I, I know we talked about it when we spoke about having teaching these kids to advocate for themselves. Yes. When my kids go to the doctor, I'm like, tell the doctor what's the matter. They need to be comfortable telling adults what they need. They need to be able to tell adults, like, hey, this is where I'm struggling, and, and being able to seek out the people that can help them. Too many times we see the kid just sit there suffering silence. That's the biggest problem, is that they they know what they need. They can't articulate it. They've never been able to articulate it, never been empowered to do that. And so that's what I try to teach my kid. My kid, he walks into a store. He doesn't see the size on the shelf. He's going to the guy, what, uh, what's back. You got one in the back. Like that's the kind that's of see right. you want from your child is that, that they're going after it because it, you know, world is messy. You got to kind of sometimes get out there.
1: Same thing in the classroom. Um, I lost it. I, I dazed out. Uh, Why was it that can you repeat yourself again? And knowing your students too, knowing when they've got that little look, oh, she's not with me right now. Asking those questions. Okay. So what did I just say? Where are we at? Checking in. That, that's, I think that's what you're saying. A lot of check-ins. Yeah. Not just assuming because they're getting good grades, it's good enough. Because inside, how does it feel? You tell us. How does it feel inside? Um, You're getting good grades, school, you know, looks fine on paper. But how are you feeling inside at times?
2: Yeah. And I will say another thing that happens with a lot of ADHD kids, especially the, the boys that, I was one of these that um, can't control, has to shout out the answer. And sometimes teachers will assume that he knows or she knows because they're shouting out answers. But there's a lot of times where you need to go back and check for understanding. Just because they're super willing participants doesn't mean they're always getting, you know, what's, and that's kind of a, that balance. With the best teachers, like I always, when I'm observing teachers, I'm always saying, how are you checking for understanding? How do you know that he knew what you just said? and even the way teachers question right they'll even turn around and say oh so two plus two is four right and that right oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> like oh yeah right totally right. Yeah. <laughs> you know i've even watched teachers teach a map and they were talking the number line and she was like using her hands and kind of yeah, yeah. So you're telling the kid where the answer is and she was like oh my gosh so t- teachers don't even realize that they're doing it and that's why teachers got to be super reflective of their practice really watch what they're saying and doing with with those kind of types of kids but it's so much fun to watch and show a teacher
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely because everybody's always watching us but really not always watching ourselves yep. so a lot of times what i'll do with with uh, students or even my clients is i'll ask them a question and i'm really careful with the way that I use my words, the rhythm, the volume, the cadence—you name it—and then I'll keep my face neutral, and they're looking at me, and they're looking me up and down. What are they doing? <laughs> trying to read my face. They're trying,
2: they're trying not- to get right.
1: It's gonna be a poker <laughs> face. <laughs> and then I'm used to that. And I'm like, didn't, I'm doing this on purpose. I'm not telling you <laughs> because as soon as you ask them a question, they always think one way or the other. They have like this preconceived answer, without really thinking about it completely independent of the person who's asking them the question.
2: Yeah, totally. And and I I am my my big my big like question that I always tell children is tell me more, tell me more. Yeah. yeah. And that's kind of like my way of doing it because I am one of those very animated guys. It's very hard. I could not play poker. <laughs> I was losing <laughs> it. I'm like. For I mean, like a yeah. <laughs> the worst, <laughs> the worst, but understanding too, that they're also picking up on that energy, good and bad too. Cause so I also, yes. there might be kids that are totally freaked out by that. And you got to mm-hmm. that as well. So that's kind of like the nuanced piece of teaching it and, and really understanding your kids. And, you know, and, you know, obviously now it's weird because everyone's about data and looking at test scores and yeah, it does provide you some insight, But we know once you start going to us, you know, getting down to the student's social emotional level, you really find what's, what's stopping them from really truly learning.
1: Absolutely, and when we talk about SEL skills and knowledge and that energy that we give off to them or they're giving off to us, I think that is so powerful. If people could only embrace it and know how to receive it and know how to manage it, their teaching will totally evolve in ways they haven't even imagined yeah. and so what I mean by that is and I, you know tell me if you think this is relative to the student who is twice exceptional but again you're doing well in school but you know you're just what is it with her how do I reach her if you can yourself as the educator take that breath so you can relax enough to almost feel what your student is feeling, that energy that they're giving out. You'll know if you're feeling a little bit, you know, a little shaky or a little, hmm, I, don't, I don't know, I don't feel so great right now. Then you have an inside clue as how they're feeling. And then you can actually teach that particular student to breathe when they need it, especially. To calm their mind, calm their body. And then you'll have more of a chance to get meaningful check-ins where they're going to follow through on what's that next step. You think that's a helpful tip for this type of student?
2: Yeah, absolutely. And and thing is, I mean, we're in a school, I'm in a school where luckily where it's one teacher, one student, right? So that relationship is at the forefront. And what I also recognize is not every student works with every teacher because of that. And there are some teachers that are really, really good at calming a student down. And then there's the student, the teachers that are really super good at keeping the student You know, calm and then accountable and keeping them so that they're doing their work. The thing is, is a lot of students, especially ones that are really school avoiding or have, you know, anxiety and depression, and they've gone through the system have kind of learned how to play it a little bit. And sometimes they kind of, they, they, to full, go full on advantage because mom and dad is like, oh my gosh, my, my, my son or daughter is broken. They're not going to ever learn. And you kind of be like, no, they're not broken. They, we just got to kind of, you know, give them a little push. They'll do that. And we push them in a really safe and a respectful way and then empower them. And they, And they themselves will kind of realize that, hey, if I'm taking care of these things, and I'm around people who are looking out for my best interest, then I'm ready, ready to learn. And that's really true. Like I we've had many teachers where a kid is just freaking out and she's like, all right, listen, let's let's put world history aside, forget them out. you know, my toast. Let's take like a deep breath. Let's chill. You know, like, hey, did you watch, you know, the, the new movie over the week? Like just kind of that. Be human because you're also a mentor too. And what one, one of the things that we tend, we all do in in Every interview that I've had with a teacher, one question we always ask them is, listen, teaching is a really tough job. You are on the game from the second you walk in the building to the second you leave. And one of the things is we realize you've got to have balance in your life. And we always ask them, how do you play? How did you play when you were a kid? Because I want to hear how you were a student. I want to hear how you were a student. Because the thing is, is a lot of teachers, and you see this, we're great students. They loved, te- they loved teaching. They love teaching. They love like that. They used to play, you know, play school. They sat at the front of the room and like, you know, and their expectations sometimes when we talk about like administrative, like people come with their mental models and they're thinking, oh, this kid needs to be like this. And meanwhile, I was the kid in the back of the room, could care less. I'm not handing in anything. I'm cutting when I can, all of those things and realizing like I could teach that kid. I could teach too cool. Absolutely. It's Absolutely. the ones that are like, oh, we want to learn everything. I'm just like, oh gosh, please. Yeah, I don't know what to
1: do with you. <laughs> <laughs> what to learn, not how to learn. Wait a second. <laughs> I need to back up and regroup.
0: <laughs>
1: right. right. And I think what you were saying is, you said looking out for my best interest, And I think that when, and I always say this Anthony, I say that, and I think it translates well, when students truly, it's one of two things, they truly feel like their teacher or their parent or that, that adult figure is understands where they're at. It builds that connection. But that's okay too when you really don't understand because what saves us with those students who need us the most are I believe when we sincerely try to understand and they see that and we might get it right sometimes and we might get it wrong other times. And I think that they are really patient with us when they feel like we care to understand. Do you agree with that?
2: Yeah, 100%. And, you know, one of the things um, as like the the, the AAP of the school, right? Sometimes I'm in the unenviable position of having to say no, right? I have to be that guy. And I get it, like, it's funny that I am that guy, but I am that guy. And one of the things I know is that I always look at it this way. My day is around making deposits. I make deposits with everybody. Hey, how you doing, Johnny? Good day, how was your weekend? Saying hello, saying hello, just kind of, Walking around the building, always making deposits because I know at some point I might have to make a withdrawal on that student. And because right. if I I'm overdrawn, that relationship gets hurt. But if I have enough deposits, I can kind of go at Johnny and be like, Johnny, no, 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 that's unacceptable. This is this is what you you know. I'm kind of calling BS on that. You You're not more capable of this. If I have enough deposits, that goes. That's taken in a way where he takes that to heart. So that's kind of where we're always with the teachers: make deposits build the relationship because when you have to make that withdrawal when you have to hold them accountable, you've done it in a loving way. You've set it up. I mean, I don't know if you've read the uh, book by uh, Kim Scott radical candor. Like I am a huge fan of radical candor. Like, tell me that there's, there is spinach on my teeth, but, but you have to have it come from a loving place. And if it's not, it comes out as obnoxious aggression, or, you know, if not, if you're just like kind of being compliant, letting it happen, that's not good either. But you can be in a loving, you know, trusting relationship with somebody and be radically candid with them. And it's the same thing, like when I do it with my teachers and my teachers do it with their students, just really kind of, because the thing is, is it's one-to-one the, and, and you're able to individualize everything for the student, everything, their experience, how they, everything that goes into that.
1: And knowing that we oftentimes come in to the classroom or as a parent with that, what you say was like a mental framework.
2: Yeah the, mental, yeah, the mental models.
1: Yes, the mental models. Like think
2: of an, an iceberg and you see the tip, but your mental yes. is behind the, under the water.
1: And what might be important for us doesn't really reach that child. So we need to make those deposits, meaning showing on those actions that show that we care, care to understand and care to connect in a way that's meaningful for the child. Then I think there's that connection. And you're talking about that connection that's built and built and built that when you have to do the hard stuff or have that hard conversation, it's received in a way you're still caring. It's still in their best interest to consider what you have to say, hopefully take ownership and accountability and run with it. Otherwise, what's the opposite of that? we might have dropouts, we might have kids who are not going to class and dropping out and And now high school is, they become one of those statistics, you know. So I think that's a really important concept for people to understand how to do it. It's possible. And there could be two different outcomes that are very different.
2: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it, it, it obviously goes down to parenting, right? One of the things that I spend a lot of time bridging the gap is between the student and the parent. And like, if the, if the student does find a good advocate at the school, like there's many times where I've called up the parent and been like, you know, Johnny really just hates math. Like, why are we putting him into calculus? <laughs> like, so like those are kind of some of the things, but the other piece of it is that, you know, as a parent, you, you know, you're always trying to look out for the best thing in you. Can. It's just like natural. And there is a huge, I didn't, I will say this. One of the things I thought it was a good teacher I didn't realize how much being a parent made me a better teacher. And I don't say that, you know, you have to be a parent to be a, a good teacher. What it did do is it kind of framed for me like, hey, I am allowed, you know, I am relying on these teachers to raise my kid, essentially, when I'm not there. Mm-hmm. And so there, there is sometimes where you know, parents are kind of expecting you to kind of, many parents do this, want the teachers or the school to put the boundaries on the student that they themselves don't want to put the boundaries on their own kid. And that's kind of where it gets really difficult sometimes because you might be putting a boundary on a kid and trying to keep them accountable and they're on the right path. And then that can get all done in two minutes at home. And so, so like, that's really the the thing where it's it sometimes gets frustrating and like I say to teachers sometimes you will not see the fruits of your labor at the end of the school year. It might be 20 years from now when you're walking down the street and you see that kid in the supermarket. Like that's kind of like the, the leap of faith you are taking with some of these kids. Because I will tell you that if it if I had listened to my parents, I never would have went to college. Like they didn't believe in college. I was the first person in my family to ever graduate college. So. The thing is, is if I lived by their mental models, I would be like at here and maybe not ever in a position to find my purpose. And, you know, and that's kind of always what we're, all, you know, trying to get everybody to like run a road and some, some fun road, enjoy and find your purpose. But like along the way, just find the, those mentors, those people that kind of really resonate with you, including your parents and the parent, parents should kind of almost be looking for others to help that because it you know like like hillary said it takes a village it really does take a village of people to raise a child like it's like one of those things where you need everybody all hands on deck
1: absolutely and it comes down to that connection and that understanding whether it be a twice exceptional child or child who's simply struggling or your average child whatever average is within that means of that class for that year
2: Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. I think the other big piece to it also is that, you know, we're on Long Island. So where there is a a lot of pressure for kids to go to college and be in a prestigious college. But at the end of the day, like I was a wanderer. I've wandered all over the United States. Not everybody graduates college. Like, you you know, the stats, like I think roughly now about 50, 60 percent of kids who go off to college graduate. So college can be a huge money suck. Is you know if you're really kind of preparing your student to get ready for college, and they go off to college and like, yeah, this isn't for me. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of one of those things where there's a there's a lot of pressure outside pressure as from, you know, other parents to then have your kid perform to the other kids, you know, so there's like this weirdness that's it's always kind of going around. Like I am always like, just you do you like I, the one thing that I've always like loved about my journey is that I'm just kind of doing me and I've never really kind of allowed anybody to, to, to influence that.
1: And I think something else to really consider with these children who struggle is they put so much pressure on themselves. They do it sometimes even without us, without us being the parent, or without us being the teacher. They just it's almost as if they seek the whoever they think learning comes easiest to. Or that student who plays the sport and they wish that they could, just like them. You know, I feel like they themselves put so much pressure on on, on themselves. Like my son is an AP, AP student. Um, the, the pressure that he puts on himself and his friends. And I say to him, I say, don't, let's drop the class. <laughs> we need to do this. What for? You know, I, it's okay. Yeah. You to enjoy yourself a little bit. He's that worker and I have to, and I will. And I'm like, okay, then we, we need to breathe. And we need to breathe a lot because you're not. Yeah. <laughs> they yeah. overwhelm themselves. And as an educator inside the classroom, knowing that these kids who struggle, they are so busy comparing themselves to others, whether we think it's justified or not, they're doing it. And we need to really help center them by showing them their little successes along the way, not telling them they could do it, but showing them when they do. Yeah,
2: yeah, and I, and you, you're so right. Because the thing is, is there is a very, you know, like middle school, I call them the hormonally challenged, right? So they're dealing with everything. But, Going through puberty and all the social aspects and they're trying to not find themselves. And then when you get to at the high school, there is definitely a divide. There are the group of kids who know I'm going to be a doctor, I'm going to be an engineer, I'm going to be a lawyer, I'm going down this trajectory, I'm taking all AP courses, all honors, I'm going to be on the dean's list. And then you have the other kids like, I want to go to a cake party. And like, that's kind of like the <laughs> the... Yeah. The, the gamut of where you have it and the thing is is it's not wrong they're all kind of on their same journeys we need lawyers we need doctors we need engineers we totally need people seriously about their education but then there's others that that aren't and that's okay too like and and I think that's kind of where we're trying to lump all the kids in this one basket of like oh you know this high schools what they love to put out every year is how many kids are going to college and all the lists of college they're going to because it is their gold star but do you ever see the The graduation rates of all those kids who went off to colleges. Right. You never see that. You never see that. And so that's kind of like, get it. That's great. You went to college. Woo for you. But, you know, like, what else are you doing with it? And and the ones that, you know, like, I I was one of those kids that didn't go to college right after high school. I went in, went to the workforce, did my thing and went back to school later on. But that's cool too. Like I tell kids like you don't have to go to college, go get a job, like find out what you don't want to do, man. I did some of the worst jobs you could possibly imagine. And I'm like, I never want to do that ever again. And, and that's, that was a journey, but I met some really cool people. I met some, learned some really like hard, hard work. I learned how to like, like live on my own and manage my money. Like those are the, the skills that we really want our kids to understand and to, and to like, you know, be good at.
1: Absolutely. Well, Anthony, I think we have a lot of great information in today's episode. I think we really covered a lot with what are some of the signs when a student is getting great grades looks like they're achieving and sometimes even overachieving in some levels, but now in other areas, they're underachieving, identifying what they are, understanding they might ask a whole bunch of why questions, the importance of explaining things to them in a meaningful way, connecting with them so that way they will ask for help. And we can also identify when they need the help Um, as well as really as parents too, because we have lots of parent listeners here and working along with the schools, identifying that we have our own pre-made way of thinking about things and really understanding that when either parenting or teaching students that as long as they understand we're trying and we care, then it's okay to make mistakes along the way. We're going to get some right, which is great. We're going to get some that's not quite right. And we keep on going and we keep that connection with our, our students as well as with our own children. So Anthony, closing remarks. anything you, you would want to share with teachers um, or parents when helping students?
2: Um, I think the biggest thing right now is obviously, right, we're coming out of the pandemic and there's a lot of different stuff going on. There's gonna be a lot of students that are going to need social emotional like care when they get back to school this September. I also think that there's not enough people to help all those kids. I really do believe that there, there's gonna to be too many kids come September that are just gonna need that, that, that thing, that social emotional space at school and not have access to it. So that's my biggest fear. So parents, be aware of that, learn about what social emotional learning is. It's not just something that is taught, it's something that you yourself practice. And, and the only way to actually like to, teachers to teach it is they themselves have to practice it. So we're really big about taking care of yourself, finding your own wellness, looking to kind of you know always be a better human. And if you're able to kind of emulate that, you're raising some really awesome kids in the
1: process. Great. Anthony, thank you so much for imparting your wisdom and your experience with, the, with us today. And we really, really enjoyed having you. That yeah, was
2: you. amazing. Thank you so much.
1: Take care, Anthony.
2: Take care.
0: Thank you for listening to the Student Success Beyond Expectations podcast, where school leaders, educators, and parents meet on behalf of children who struggle with learning. To bring workshops to your school or organization, contact Child Behavior Consulting and get started with resources available at childbehaviorconsulting.com, Amazon, and teacherspayteachers.com for ready-to-use resources and children's books. If you enjoyed this podcast, remember to review, subscribe, share, and give us a shout-out on social media.